Hi, I'm Erica, and you're listening to my podcast. I created this space to help you build a lifestyle where your body feels safe to heal, where you love living in your miraculous body, and it loves living with you. Through my own experience of battling an eating disorder that spanned over a decade, mental health crisis, insomnia, and chronic illness, I've discovered that the path to healing looks a lot less like following a specific diet and exercise program and a lot more like showing up to my body and emotions with arms and mind wide open, ready to receive the feedback they give. I can now say that I truly know, love, and understand my body better than anyone else. It feels incredibly grounding. Partnering with your body in the healing process is a superpower and I want you to experience it. Join me, I invite you to come along for the ride as I share with you the resources and inspiration that have made all the difference for my healing and what I'm learning in real time about how to continue to expand my daily body partnership practice. Hey, it's Erica and I am back here on the podcast to share the birth story of my first son, Everest Elwood-Worth. And it's been four weeks and five days since Everest was born. And oh my goodness, there's so much. It goes by so fast and yet nights and days all blur together. But I really do want to share just some of my biggest takeaways from motherhood so far, what what our birth was like, what it's like to be Everest's mommy, and some of the challenges that have come up, how I've navigated them. This is what I would hope you'd say to me if we were if the roles were reversed and what I think the the woman getting ready to birth her first child, especially if you are interested in a home birth setting or even a free birth, I think it would be it will be really helpful what I have to share. And that's my desire and my hope. And I see in the future my work here at Worth Wellness shifting quite a bit more to specifically mothers and women going through the portal of made into mother and through pregnancy, through birth and entering into motherhood. The transformation that takes place within us is so dynamic and so all-consuming. And then yet, you know, of course we can't ignore the care of a child and being entrusted with this little life to nurture and grow and lead is in and of itself just a ginormous task. Uh, you're, you're growing yourself up and you are witnessing another's growth and caring for them and making sure that they stay alive. And it's a lot, it's a lot to digest and process and navigate on a day-to-day basis. So I'm here, I'm here. Mamas or mamas-to-be know I want to be a support for you. And I want to be a safe place to just talk real talk about what it's actually like to be in the trenches of loving and walking alongside little humans. And it requires a lot of nervous system regulation for yourself first. I mean, I just keep going back. The book Conscious Parenting or The Conscious Parent by Dr. Shivali um, or Shivani. I, gosh, I'm probably butchering her last name. 
is so good and I read it before giving birth, but I don't know that I finished it. I can't recall where it is right now, but got really close to it um, before birth. It's so, so good because it really is not about raising kids. It's about raising ourselves, growing ourselves up and reparenting and then being able to show up for our kids as they are and to be really attuned and to witness them and to help them become leaders, you know, practicing self-leadership and showing them what it is to lead themselves well and wisely. So keep that in mind. I think that has served me well in, I don't even see what I'm doing right now with Everest parenting. It's really, it doesn't, that just, that word doesn't even encompass what I feel like living every day with this little life has been like. It's not parenting. It's, self-sacrifice. <laughs> it's so humbling. It is so guttural. It is so instinctual. It is so primitive in a lot of ways and intuitive. Yeah, it doesn't feel like parenting. It doesn't feel like a skill. It feels like you have to tap into a deep knowing that you never had to tap into prior. And I do have him sleeping here on my pa- on in my solely wrap, which, oops, Okay, I had him in my Sully wrap, which is beautiful, but let me say this. It is not the most convenient baby-wearing method. (laughs) Um, And for my specific little one, just the, the different things that have come up in his health since birth, I think he doesn't always like the position of being on my, you know, on my chest with his head having to be, you know, only it can really only sit a couple ways in this wrap and it's not the most convenient wrap to take out if you want to go to the grocery store it is not fast and efficient to tie it up around you and get the baby in so I don't know I have mixed feelings about it I think it's beautiful I love that it's beautiful and I think it's a good company anywho so if I have to pause and get up and go this might take a little while here to record because we're also doing elimination communication or EC as it's referred to And that deserves an entire episode of its own because I thought it sounded when I first heard about this idea of babies from infancy or, you know, newborns or our first day out of the womb being able to potty on the toilet was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, say what? Like, people do what? And I I was really intrigued by it. But also, like, is that possible. But oh my gosh. Okay. This is just how it is with, with a lot of things that call to me and that I end up pursuing is it always starts with the, I am initially really intrigued and fascinated and compelled, like something is like nags at me when I hear about these new, they're not really that new. They're actually more traditional cultures, intact cultures still practice these things, but we have push them out of Western modern society. But when I hear about these things, something just calls to me. And at first I kind of brush it off of like, I don't think I could do that. Let me tell you, don't, don't, don't underestimate what you could or couldn't do. The reality is you can do anything you want to do and anything you desire to do. It's, will I like, will I, will I follow that nudge or not? I'll wait to talk more, I think, about EC and my journey and my thoughts on it so far because I've really only been like, I'm a week in right now to full-time ECing with him. So I guess I 
I guess I could say I formally started about a month old for him. And I have a lot of thoughts and, you know, reflections on that that I'll share later. But this is the birth story. This is the birth story. And so I did not vocalize that I was doing a free birth prior to Everest's birth. And that was partly because I didn't know I was until very, very soon, like up very close to his arrival date. I, I would say it was probably like a month before I was decided and sure that I was going to do a free birth. And if you don't know what a free birth is, I think probably like I could try to explain I mean, it's simple to explain, but to understand the essence of a free birth, I would recommend actually looking up the Free Birth Society podcast and just listening to a couple of the stories of women who have free birthed so you get an idea of what it actually looks like. Uh, You could also look for interviews or podcast interviews where Yolanda Norris Clark has been interviewed, uh, Luke's story. He has a podcast interview with her. It's really good. That's how I actually heard about her. And then it was like a a rabbit trail to figure out what, what she actually meant by free birth. And basically it's giving birth in your home. I guess you could do it outside or wherever without any medical professionals or birth professionals present. So you could do it by yourself. You could do it with your partner or with your mom or with your sister. Like it doesn't doesn't really matter, but it's not assist. It's not assisted by any medical professionals, and there's no outside birth interventions happening. Anyways, that is a free birth, and I had planned on having a midwife and was seeing a midwife for most of my first and second trimester up until I think it was probably around week thirty-two ish. I can't remember exactly when I decided that I would continue on my pregnancy. They call it a wild pregnancy where you're, you are leading the charge of your prenatal, prenatal care. And I mean, basically that's good nutrition. That is consistent movement, taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, which I felt really confident in doing all of those things. And my pregnancy had been uncomplicated and I didn't, I didn't really see a need to continue to go to visits and, you know, I wasn't getting any ultrasounds done. I wasn't listening to the heartbeat outside of a fetoscope. And I had already done that. I think the last midwife appointment I went to was the one I finally got to hear Everest's heartbeat. But I feel like once I did that, I mean, did I even need to do that at that point? Because it was so much later in the pregnancy before I was able to hear it with a fetoscope I already knew I had a baby in there. Like, I didn't need a heartbeat to confirm it. It was so obvious. Obviously, I was feeling his kicks and his hiccups and his rolls. And I I mean, it it was just for the fun of it, for the heck of it. Uh, So anyways, I didn't really see a need to keep going all the way up until the birth, especially if I was not planning on using this midwife to birth. It just made more sense to continue on my own. So I did that. And it's interesting because before I, like right after, it's just like with EC, right after I heard my first, the first interview with Yolanda from the Free Birth Society, 
I told my husband, like, can you believe some people just birth on their own, like at their house with just them and their partner? And isn't that crazy that you can do that? He was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, but I still think I want someone else there. Like that to me, just, I don't know. Like there was that, which is a really normal response to free birth, like the just in case, the what if. And if you can't get past the just in cases and the what ifs, you're going to have a hard time free birthing because the reality is you can never erase what ifs and, and think through every possible scenario of something that might go askew. But honestly, you can't do that in a hospital. You can't do that at a birth center. Like you can't do that with a midwife there. Nobody knows what's going to happen in your labor. Like nobody knows. It's all it's all a gamble. It's all in the hands of the universe. Like it's all out of our control. And I think free birth, the idea with free birth is that the parts, the parts of birth, I will say this, the parts of birth that you can control is the setting, is how you set it up, is how you mentally come to it. And whether or not have you cared for yourself during pregnancy in a way that would lead to that would hopefully lead to a smoother birthing process. And I think, I really think even, I mean mentally more than anything else, because let me tell you, I did the physical things. Hi, baby. I I ate the dates. I drank the pregnancy tea. I did the practice your laboring positions on a birthing ball. I did the inversion to get your baby, you know, in the right position all of that. But when it came down to the actual labor, I don't know that any of that mattered quite much. I mean, maybe it did. My baby was, my baby was in the quote optimal position and it was still, we still hit. That was the kind of critical moment in my birth was the crowning and the pushing him out and him getting stuck to, to a degree or what I felt was him getting stuck. And yet he was in the right position, the quote, right position, you know, and that was our crisis point in labor anyways. And so, you know, who knows, who knows if those things helped labor be my labor in total from act, like at the start of active labor was 11 hours. And, you know, I think maybe for some, like that's short for a first labor, but I also had predermal labor for, and I hope I'm saying that right, that word, I can just, I struggle with that word. Anyways, for, you know, five, the five days prior to actually going into active labor, and I was not expecting that. Nobody really prepared me for that. So if you're a first-time mama and you're pregnant, I just want to tell you, do not be surprised if you experience like consistent, because mine were consistent contractions on the days that they were. I guess there were... Oh, baby. There were a couple days where the contractions like stopped, but or I want to say there was at least two full days in those five days leading up where they were happening like every 10 minutes all day long. So anyways, I kept the mental game of like thinking labor's going to start. This is it. You know, tonight could be the night. And, you know, you have your plan of like, my stepson's going to grandma's house and we're going to get this set up. And, you know, my husband's going to call in to start his paternity leave. 
every like morning waking up and not knowing, is this that day or not? Every night going to bed, is this the night or not? Mentally and emotionally, like that takes such an enormous toll. And physically, I mean, the contractions or waves or surges, I actually don't even know that it really matters what you call them. I was pretty intent prior to giving birth that I was going to call them waves or surges because that's what you do. That is what you do in the like orgasmic birth world, in the hypnobirth world, in even in the free birth world, like it's talked about to refer to these these sensations in a more expansive way, which is fine. Like I think that's fine and but to me, like contraction to me feels like the best descriptor for what it actually felt like on a physical level and or just cramps. I mean, like, honestly, the early labor, that to me felt just like really bad period cramps. And there was a wave component to it. So I can, I actually get the accuracy of using the description wave because they start, this is for you out there if you don't know, because I had no idea what a contraction was going to feel like. So I thought like, how am I going to know if it's a contraction or not? And a couple people were like, you will know, you'll know. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't help me understand what they feel like. So to help you out, first time mama, I will let you know what they feel like for me. And I do think it can be different for every woman, but they did feel like a cramp coming on, like a period cramp coming on. So so basically the wave, the period cramp doesn't just like all of a sudden you're cramping. It, it comes on I don't know, more subtly, and then it revs up, like think of a wave, it has a peak, and then it tapers off. That's the best way I can describe it. It had been so long since I'd had period cramps, or a period though, so that whole sensation was like really, wow, I forgot what this was like, but manageable. I could breathe through it, I could walk through it, I could talk through it. I'd have to slow down a bit, or maybe pause, but it wasn't, I couldn't even say it was painful. It was more just uncomfortable. And I naively thought, oh, wow, if this is what contractions feel like, yeah, I think I can totally do this. I can totally breathe through this. And like, this is going to be the orgasmic birth, free birth that I was visualizing. So anyways, yeah, I will kind of just back up the train to say that I had decided to have my mom present and my husband present. They were going to be my birth partners, the people that were there. I didn't know if I even wanted my mom in the birth necessarily, but she was there. And I really, really, really wanted her for postpartum support as well. But when I decided to free birth, my mom was already planning on coming, but that was definitely something that I wanted to make sure she was aware of ahead of time of there won't be a midwife there. Like I have, I've decided to free birth. So those five days leading up to actually going into labor, uh, my mom was there to help with my stepson because it was still summer and school was out. And my husband just kept working and it ended up that I went into labor on a Sunday night. And so he was off work and could just say on Monday morning, I'm not coming in. So that's what it actually looked like for me as far as like my support system for my free birth. So, which is interesting. Like I thought 
And I had heard so many stories on the Free Birth Society podcast. And if you're going to free birth, please, please, please listen to stories of other women who have done it so you can get a variety of content on what it could look like and on what what the different variations even within free birth are. And some people, some women, especially if it's not their first baby, prefer to be by themselves through like all of active labor. And I honestly thought that that might be me because I'm very, to a fault, self-reliant. I don't need your help. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wounding for me for sure. I think it's a trauma response that I'm still working through, but I didn't think I'd really want that someone to be like actively in there a part of it or even applying pressure or massage or whatever. But when it came down to it, I was so shocked by what active labor actually felt like and the intensity, like the degree of pain, the degree of intensity that it was. I cannot imagine being just off on my own. It felt too big and like I felt a little bit intimidated by it, honestly. Not well, just not knowing how long it was going to last. And at moments, I did question whether or not, can I do this? Can I physically do this? It's so weird because birth just, I mean, the whole process of growing a human and birthing a human is just, even though I've gone through it now, it doesn't make any sense from your thinking brain. And the fact that your body knows how to do this and like bring a baby forth is so miraculous and crazy and wild and it feels it feels very very wild and by wild I just mean kind of scary you know like it's not necessarily supposed to feel safe I mean I think a birthing woman should definitely feel safe in her space and that is one of the most important things if you're if your goal is an undisturbed birth like you need to set up an environment where you feel safe and for me my home and my bedroom and my mom and my husband being there Like you really can't get like, I feel safer for me, at least like those were the, that's, that was safe to me, you know, in my own bathroom, in my own clothes, in my jammies, like I have all my stuff there that I need. That was, I feel safe, but did birth, did labor feel safe to me? Like, no, it was so scary. It was so foreign. It was so, like I said, much, it was so much bigger than I expected the feelings and the pain. And I really did need people there to help remind me, even if it was just subtly or quietly, um, that I wasn't alone and that I was going to do this and we were going to have a baby at the end of this. And my body was built to do this. My body was intelligent and knew knew how to bring the baby forth, even if I had no clue. Like, that's the thing. When you start labor, if it's your first time, you have no clue how this whole thing is going to work. Like, how is this whole process I'm going to go through? the contractions, the pushing transition, like you don't actually even know, like this is going to end up in a baby. Like, you know that, but that's about it. And so, oh, sweetie. Okay. We'll be back. Okay. Maybe we are still asleep. (laughs) I thought Everest was waking up, but when they're this little, they, you think they're waking up and then they go right back to sleep and you don't know how much longer you have. So anywho, back to the birth. Well, I want to back up a little bit and just say, so when I approached Sunday, which was Sunday night was when I actually went into active labor, but I was, I was pretty drained. I was pretty tired. 
I wasn't getting much sleep uh, either. Some nights it was because of the early labor contractions and other nights it was just, I just was uncomfortable when you're that, that big and, and blooming and bursting, you know, at the end of your third trimester, like it's just uncomfortable. So I was really tired and mentally and emotionally, I was starting to really go inward. And I mean, it's really, really true. Like you start to enter the birth, the birth kind of trance and you don't want to talk, like you you don't want to go out and be around people. And I was even finding like, I think it was Friday, I tried to go grocery shopping and run some errands by myself while my mom stayed behind with my stepson and I could barely talk to like the grocery workers. It was so, it felt so wrong and so off to be out in public transacting like a normal person. (laughs) Like it felt so off. I had to come home early because I, I was so overstimulated by the sounds and the brightness of like grocery stores. And I mean, even simple conversations like with the people in my household about just you know, casual conversation type things, I remember thinking like, I do not care. Like, why are we talking about this? Uh, I, I do not care. Like all I, my whole head and mind space, mind space was so enveloped by birth, 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 birth. And so I was really feeling that strong on Sunday. And I had a massage, actually a prenatal massage scheduled for Monday I woke up that morning and I was just so sore and so tired. I was like, it'd be, it feels so, it would feel so good to get a massage today. And so at the last minute, I asked the therapist if she had any openings and if I could move it back a day. And she said yes, which is fantastic because I would not have been able to go if I left it on Monday, the day Everest was born. Uh, so anyways, I, uh, went to the massage at like 10 a.m. My mom drove me because I was also like so uncomfortable. I could not properly like reach the pedals and on my chair, you know, like close enough to reach the pedals, but not my belly, not bumping the steering wheel. And yeah, driving was not working those last few days. So my mom drove me and the massage was really good. I did have contractions, especially when I was laying on my stomach with like in the pregnancy, special pregnancy massage pillow. And they were, they were uncomfortable, but it felt really good that she was like, give like adding pressure. She didn't even know they were happening, but it was a good distraction. And it was very, very nourishing to have something so restorative before I would go into like the marathon of the night, which I didn't know I was going to do. But so I finished the massage. I got back home. It was lunchtime. And really shortly after we got back, like around noon, I started to notice the surges, contractions started to get close together and were happening consistent again, like every five minutes when I timed them. And so from 12 PM until 9 PM, they were happening every five minutes. And I started to wonder, like, I think this is the night, like this is pretty close together. And I think this is the night, but we, I, I didn't know that, know that for sure until active labor like started, which was at 9 PM. And my husband and I had gone to bed pretty early, probably like at eight. We made love, which they say is also good if your body's ready 
if your body's already ready for labor, it can help jumpstart that. Um, it won't induce labor if your body's not already ready. But anyways, and I remember it was just, it was different. Uh, my husband was so funny. He's like, that just like something about that, you know, later he's like, yeah, it just smelled different. Like something about it was just different. And he left the room to go do something for his son afterwards because the son like got out of bed or something. And he came back in and I was in the bathroom and the contractions got like changed in the way they were. I can't even say it felt like a cramp. It was like a electric shock. <laughs> That's probably a better way of describing it. Like coursing through my body. And I was like, babe, this is it. Like we're, we're having a baby tonight. This is for sure it. And he's like, this is it, it? Like, cause you know, it'd been like five days of maybe, maybe not. And I was like, no, this is it. Like you need to call grandma, have her come get Ben, my stepson. And he's like, okay. So he left to go get his stepson situated. And I started the marathon of working with the surges. And I immediately just felt like I needed to be over on all fours. And I was in the bed on the floor. We are beds on the floor. It's like a floor bed. So I would be in the bed because it's a little bit softer on my like knees and wrists. And then I would get out sometimes if I want to do that or lean forward, lean over the birth ball. But, and I would rest in between. They were coming on about every three minutes at that point and lasting about a minute. And yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty intense. And by the time my husband came back in, I started to notice like a lot of stabbing kind of feeling in my back or sharp like knives kind of. And that would be characteristic the entire, through the entire contraction part up until actually in the pushing part as well, the, the back pain continued all the way through. So, yes, the contractions continued on after, so like 9 p.m. until probably sometime in the wee hours of the morning. I did not look at the clock. I reached a point where we were timing how long between the contractions and how long they were lasting. And it was nighttime, of course, so it was dark. And I just had a red lamp. It just has a red bulb in it on in our bedroom. That's like what we use in case we have to turn on the light. We're not like flooding our eyes with blue light. But the light from his phone, my husband's phone, when he would time a contraction was so obnoxious to me, I could not handle it. So I was like, okay, we're done doing that. I reached a point where I was like, I'm gonna have this baby regardless if we time contractions or not. The reality is the baby's gonna come. So uh, I asked him to stop doing that because it just was not helpful for me. And I did not, we don't have a clock in our room. I was really trying not to watch the clock because the, as soon as you look at a clock, you go into thinking brain and the thoughts, it's really hard to rein the thoughts back in because they immediately, for me, wanted to go to, okay, how long have I been doing this? And then trying to judge, has it been long enough that I could go into the next stage of labor or the baby will be here soon? Or has it still been too short? Because the reality is we don't even, nobody knows. Even first births could be really fast or they could not be fast. And mentally, I didn't need the distraction of, of time. 
because this process happens in a realm outside of the formal constructs of logic and of time and of space. And it was really important that I was tuned into body and spirit and energy forces in order to be able to move through it as smoothly as I possibly could. So anyways, also at one point, and this is one of the funnier parts of my story that I like, I don't know, it just really stands out to me, is shortly after my husband came back from getting his son sent off with grandma, he's like, okay, I'm going to lay down and try to take a nap for a little bit. Because, you know, if I'm going to catch the baby, I need to have like my wits about me to be able to do that. And we're going to be laboring all night. Of course, you know, we had been up all day and didn't, I don't think he took a nap. He wasn't expecting necessarily to be up all night because we didn't know when the baby would come. But so I was trying to be an understanding partner about that, but I was honestly very annoyed because of course any laboring woman knows like that just doesn't, I mean, I would assume maybe I'm unique in this, that like, how dare you sleep in front of me? Like, I can't sleep. I can't just turn this off and go to sleep. And, uh, but I knew if that's what he needed in order to feel like he could be supportive later on as things got more intense, I already felt like things were super intense. So I was, that was another reason why I was like, no, I want you a part of this. But the reality is they were going to get so much more intense. And I do think it paid off that he had a little bit of rest. So it did get a, get to a point though, where I really needed support with every contraction because of the intensity of the back pain. So I, I did wake him up and was like, I don't know when it, you know, of course, again, I don't know what time it was, but I woke him up and was like, I need you to look up. How did you counter pressure and, and do it every time we hit a contraction? And so we kind of got into this, took a couple contractions to figure out how to do it because we hadn't actually taken a birth education class. We hadn't gone over any of this. Um, so he didn't know and I didn't know exactly how to do it. So once we figured out that dance, we kind of got into a flow of he would lay down and rest between, and then he would get up into the counter pressure. And I was trying to do that, like lay down and rest in between them. But honestly, like I would actually fall asleep maybe for like a second or a minute. I don't know, but it was so hard to jump back up because I would lay on my side to jump back up for a contraction. If I had kind of dozed off, it made it so much worse. So, I mean, I know people have mixed thoughts about like resting as much as you can in the parts of labor you can so that you have, you know, the stamina for however long it goes. But for me, I think I needed to stay in go mode because I don't know, it just was, I don't know that I'll do that again. Who knows? But it was really, really painful like mentally to have to like get up from like almost the relaxation of sleep and go again for another round. And I couldn't just, it was so intense to take the, to take the wave lane on my side. So I had to get up, move to all fours and, and breathe through the contraction that way. At one point, the birthing ball did not feel good anymore. And I really relied on all fours as the main position. I did try like standing and leaning like over the dresser while my husband did hip squeezes and that was, or with my hands against the wall, a variation that worked. I also did explore, cause I thought 
I might want to do water birth because I hear really positive things about it and it being a soothing, like, I don't know, a source of like soothing and relax, relaxation in the midst of, you know, the waves. But we didn't get a birth tub, so I was going to just try being in the bathtub, but it was small and hard and felt just really harsh. And I mean, it was okay between the contractions, but as soon as the contraction came on, it like hurt to be on all fours and it hurt to not be on all fours, but it was just really uncomfortable. So I didn't find really much relief in the bathtub and didn't want to stay there very much. So we'd fill up the bathtub. I got out, we'd keep going. Then at one point I decided to try the shower because I thought like the hot water hitting my back during a contraction might help or might feel soothing being warm and just like that pressure, a little bit of pressure in the warmth. So I got in the shower and, oh, it was not even a minute. And I heard a big like pop over. I mean, it had to have been loud because it was over the sound of like the AC in our bedroom and the water, the running water. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like my water's just released. And I called for my husband because he had laid back down to like rest again. And he came running in and I was like, my water just broke. Like things are going to really pick up now. And they did in intensity. The contractions got way more intense. I didn't even, I mean, I had that thought of like, people say this is what happens, but you never know for you. And then shortly thereafter, and I get this confused. I had to ask my husband and I'm not it's all such a blur for both of us. First of all, because we were, you know, running on no sleep, but then also like all the birth is just, like I said, it exists outside of this thinking realm. And so to try to go back and access it now through a thinking lens and like a order of events lens. And like, that is really difficult. So I think that my water broke and then I lost my mucus plug. That's what I think. I think that's what my husband said too. But I got out of the shower and back into the bedroom and then my mucus plug came out. And my husband said as like the birthing partner, that was one of the more challenging. That's like when it started to get really challenging for him because he does, he does get squeamish around blood. He has passed out when he has had blood taken out before. He doesn't do great with bodily fluids. And so that he said for whatever reason, because so much, I had so much like fluid and birth, birth juices coming out of me after that with every contraction, it was, it was a lot. So anyways, that's where he had to like really mentally just kind of stay focused on like this, you know, I'm birthing, I'm helping my wife birth this baby and I'm here to support her and not think so much about like what was actually happening. So I remember I moved into the bathroom again to kind of lean over the bathroom counter and I needed my hips to be squeezed so hard to get through each surge. My legs would shake like uncontrollably, like involuntarily shake with the contractions. And my husband was like, I, I think I need to get your mom. It's getting it's just getting to be a lot and like my arms are getting really tired and I I need her support. So at that point I was okay with her coming in because I was so deep into the birth process that 
you know, I had been naked or most of the time at this point, definitely. And I just didn't care. Like I was like, sure, like if it's going to help me be supported and, you know, it's going to support you to help support me, then sure. So we brought her in and I remember like the sound of her coming in and my husband explaining like what we're doing and like how to do the hip squeezes. And so they would take turns. I want to say it was probably in like the 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. realm by the time my mom came in, but I have no idea. And we were in the bathroom and I remember things like switched from, it's so weird because I thought before birth, and I don't know if you think this, if you're like a first time mom who hasn't birthed yet, that it would be a really clear, like definite line between active labor where I'm having contractions and now it's time to push. Like I thought it would be this very defined experience, but it wasn't at all. Looking back on it, I I am actually like, that was really weird. It just kind of morphed into, wow, that was more of a push than a contraction. And I think it was also hard to tell because the back pain, like I said, was all throughout, regardless of it being a contraction or a push. So I think that also made it hard for me to differentiate between like moving from one point to the next. But right, I want to say it was shortly after my mom came in, I was in the pushing part and our bathroom window was open again it's wee hours of the morning and my husband hears some talking like from outside we are three stories up in our townhouse and so he peeks his head out the window and it's the police and apparently a neighbor had called the police because they heard birthing sounds which can can kind of sound like death and I had, I was a very, very loud birther. I, I hear some women are silent, which I don't understand. And it's not like I had any, I didn't really have any say in that either. It was so weird like to hear, I feel like I could hear the sounds coming from me as if I was outside my body. And I was like, what just, what was that noise? You know, it was so primal. But anyways, so I hear them talking again. I'm on the bathroom floor at this point on all fours again. And I hear people talking and my husband's saying, my wife, like, yes, she's okay. She's in labor and we're doing a home birth. And then he turns back into the bathroom and asks me, like, are you okay? Do you want them to come in? Are you okay? And I mean, what a crazy question to like ask a birthing woman, are you okay? (laughs) Like, of course I'm not okay, you know? But then on the, you know, do I need their help? No. You know, what What are they going to do? So I was like, I'm fine. And then he turned back and, you know, told the police, like, she said she's fine, you know. And they're like, okay, good luck. And they left. So anyways, then my mom and my husband went around and, like, made sure all the other windows were closed. So, I mean, at that point, you know, it was what it was. Like, who who cares, really? Um a little bit awkward later when I would go outside after birthing with my new baby and I didn't know for sure what neighbor had called. So I'd see my neighbors and like, oh, hi, like, I can't believe you heard all that. But, you know, I think it also is interesting that we are so unfamiliar with the sounds of birth because birth has been moved outside of the sector of home. It's been largely in the Western world and in our country specifically, it's been moved 
into the hospital as a pathological surgical emergent process. And it's really not, it's not like birth has changed, but how we have seen birth and how we have addressed birth and interacted with birth has really, really changed. And so the familiarity around what it sounds like for a woman to be in birth is probably really foreign for most ears. So it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all that someone would have called the police. And I actually, I was in a mom's, at a mom's group this last weekend and had the opportunity to share my free birth birth story. And another mama who had free birth said that she had the same thing happen, um, that someone in her like apartment complex when she was free birthing had called the police and they showed up at the door to make sure she was okay as well. So apparently this happens if you free birth and you don't live in a single standing house, think about the sound, like think about this component. I don't know that I would do anything different other than maybe keep my windows closed, but just something to think about. Anyways, shortly after that episode with the talking to the police and stuff, I, through pushing, we started, I started to feel something come through and it was my son Everest's head and it pushed through to a point where I could feel it, which was absolutely insane. So insane with my hand, like I could reach down and feel it, but it wouldn't, it, it would like not pop all the way through. It was just like peeking out. And I got stuck at that point for a great length of time. Again, I don't know for sure how long it was. I want to say probably two hours, maybe, or maybe I pushed for two hours total. I'm not sure how long, but once I got to that point and then with, you know, the, the following pushes, it wasn't going any further like than that, that first point. I started to, okay, like started to think this is harder than I thought. I thought, you know, you push the head out and then the rest of the body comes out. And I moved about into all the different birthing positions that I had read about prior and had practiced. So they were pretty much like muscle memory at that point because I had practiced them all throughout my pregnancy to try to open up my pelvis and make it easier for the baby to descend and come through. But nothing seemed to be working. I was also really, really at this point losing stamina, like, and was super dehydrated. I remember asking somebody to just give me sips of water. They would be like pouring water in my mouth, my mom and my husband. I had really consciously like had, I don't know, I just had this sense the day before, like all of Sunday that I needed to eat really well. And I was pretty hungry because I thought this might be my last meal until after birth. And so I actually had eaten really heartily all day Sunday. And at the beginning of my labor, I started to again, feel super dehydrated. So I asked my mom to like cut up a watermelon and I would suck on those. But food really, for me, because I had had so much food that whole day, just was really unappealing overall but definitely so thirsty. And at one point was like dry heaving and also losing my voice from all of the loud sounds coming from me with every push and every contraction. So anyways, when I was pushing, 
I'd have like someone squeezing my hips and either someone, I mean, when I was on all fours, my husband would just be trying to gauge, like kind of laying next to me underneath me, trying to gauge like if I was making progress or not with the baby's head, or if I was standing up for a push, I'd be leaning forward on my husband while my mom squeezed my hips from behind. We tried to move about as much as we could. And I got to this point where I felt like I was giving it everything I could. Like I was like, there's no way I can muster any more force with these pushes. They are so intense. I am feeling so weak and exhausted and could kind of start to feel myself kind of slipping, slipping out (laughs) of consciousness. And I was like, what, what do we do? Like what, what do we do? I asked my husband, kind of like, I'm just asking this out, you know, to my mom, to my husband, but he's like, I don't know, babe, I don't know. And I mean, really what I meant by like, what do we do is it's like, at what point do we, hi baby, somebody's waking up. At what point do we, if at any point, do we call and ask for, like, do we get intervention? Meaning like, do we call 911? And when I tell the story and look back on it, I find, I think that this is one of the most critical parts because I had kind of reached my mental end of ideas on how else to get the baby out. And did that actually mean though, that we weren't equipped to free birth just because I had run out of ideas on what else to do? Was the baby actually stuck? Was I actually in danger? I mean, I had this fear, you know, which is probably irrational, but, you know, can a baby's head get, you know, be stuck in my vagina forever? Like, that's where I was starting to go. And when I thought, though, about, you know, the other possibility, which it's it felt like to me the choices where you call 911 and every, you know, and submit to everything that comes with that. And yes, you could advocate for yourself and do your best. But at a certain degree, when you call in Western medicine, it's not set up for people who self-advocate. It's not set up for people who are well-informed. It's, it's actually not super friendly to those sorts of people. And so, um, I had also heard a lot of stories where free birthing, mamas either take their babies in right after to the hospital uh, or or have a transfer and they're questioned by like CPS and things like that. Like, why were you doing this free birth? Why did you intentionally have nobody there? You know, and I just didn't want to deal with that. So I don't know how long I deliberated it in my head, but as I thought about as well, like all the interventions I had intentionally opted out of throughout pregnancy in an instant could all could all become part of my story if I did call 911. I also was like, I didn't want an episiotomy. And that would probably have been the first line solution to assume my body could not birth the baby it built and to make modifications to it, which I just didn't believe that narrative. So although I didn't know what to do, I, I knew I didn't want to call 911 and I didn't want that to be the end. And My husband had this like intuitive thought to go get coconut oil from downstairs and was like, what if we rubbed it? Bless you, baby. Bless you. What if we rubbed it on, you know, the baby's head and 
you know, the opening of your vagina where baby's popping through and see if that helps. And so I was like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. So he ran downstairs, grabbed that. We put it on and I continued with, I decided to continue with the pushing and it was not that much longer. I mean, maybe it was five minutes. I was in the stand standing position, hanging over my husband, my mom behind me, holding me up like under my armpits. And somehow I accessed this strength outside of me, but yet was me <laughs> to roar the baby out with a force I didn't think I still had or didn't, didn't think I could muster. And more of the baby, my husband, I just remember like it, this blur, this cloud of like voices, my mom and my husband saying like, it's, it's, it's working. It's working. He's coming through, like, keep going. Don't stop. And so I, the rhythm of my pushes though, were very controlled. Like I, they didn't just come through me. I would push and then rest and then decide when I has, was rested enough to try again, I would like, okay, count into the, the push, like on the count of three, I'm going to push again. So like mom be ready to hip squeeze and husband be ready to catch baby. And on that last one, the head popped all the way through and the rest of the body slid out. And I was, it's so emotional. It's so weird. Every time I tell that part of the story, like it's the most incredible thing ever. But I think I was, I mean, obviously I was so relieved that he had come through, but I was stunned. Like I was amazed my body could actually do that and like birth a baby. Like it's unbelievable. It still is unbelievable. I have another mama friend who gave birth shortly after me. And we both agree that it like, I wish I could have seen that moment the baby falls through because you know, I, I was standing and I couldn't see my belly was still, you know, very big and I couldn't see underneath me. And my husband, you know, caught the baby and immediately put Everest on my chest. And, um, his head was really pointed and the shape of it, like that was what contributed to it being hard to, to push it through and why we had a little snag there. But he was beautiful and so slippery. Uh, the uh, the, sorry, not meconium. Um, the varnix and blood and <laughs> everything else. Like I just held him as tight as I could and kissed him. And I, I all I could say was, I can't believe it. Like I can't believe it. We did it. Like it's my baby. It's my baby. Yeah, it's a powerful moment. If you haven't gone through it, it's really powerful. So, of course, I had, you know, gushing blood coming out of me, but I didn't hemorrhage or have any, any, like, excessive amounts of bleeding. And I was just a couple feet away from the bed. So, um, you know, we had pads laid down all over the floor and my husband and mom quickly got the bed ready so I could sit down because I was just shaking. I was so weak. And I sat back on the bed and... Uh, it was really uncomfortable because of course, like every muscle in my body hurt and my vagina hurt really bad, was still burning and stinging and, but I needed to also sit down cause I was trembling <laughs> from the exhaustion, put him on my chest. He didn't really nurse. He didn't cry. He was just peaceful and he was still attached to the cord. Obviously sitting here, he's staring straight at me, listening to his story. 
Um, he was still attached to his cord and it was rather short, so I couldn't even quite hold him all the way up on my chest um, with the cord still attached to the placenta inside me. But we, I lay there and rest for probably a good 30 minutes. And then I started to feel, I still felt really crampy and kind of like contractions. Yeah, still really crampy. And so they're like, do you want to see if the placenta can come out? Cause it was also so awkward due to the cord being short to hold him on my chest. So I moved into the bathroom and I really didn't want to push, but I had heard that the placenta part can be so much easier than birth because the placenta is soft and squishy. It doesn't have bones. So I put one leg up on the bathtub and was still holding Everest and just gave one small, not very mighty, but small push. And it plopped right out. Very slippery. My mom actually was, she was going to catch it, but it fell on the floor. She didn't catch it in time. And then she quickly scooped it up and, um, we put it in some big gallon size, um, Ziploc silicone bags. And the plan was with the placenta, the plan was to keep him attached for, anywhere from like two to four hours. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't have like a hard rule other than I wanted it to be longer than an hour. And if possible, I wanted it to kind of just be as long as possible and then feel into when it felt right to do the cord burning ceremony. Um, so we just put it in a stainless steel bowl on ice and kept that near the babe. And I quickly rinsed off like in the shower since I was already right there, just kind of took the shower head and sprayed like my bottom half down um, and got into my postpartum diaper and um, which I actually tipped there. I I wish I would have gotten more of those because I didn't realize I was going to like them so much, but I ordered from this company. I'll link in the show notes. They have all organic um, postpartum or period adult diapers. And that just was easiest to just like wear a diaper and maybe a dress over it or, or no clothes at all. Like to only have that. Cause it was so hot, still really hot here at that point in August, you know, being the only thing I had to wear was really, really nice. So we got back into the bed. I was honestly still feeling crampy, which I was like, okay, everything's over. Everything's out of me. Like, why am I still feeling this like period cramp feeling, which I've heard is not uncommon, uh, to feel that it's just the uterus, like contracting down to size is what I've heard. So still not quite comfortable, but relieved that everything was out of me and could just bond with baby and rest. And like, it was 7:53 in the morning when Everest was born and it was a beautiful, like full blue sky day. And so, I mean, as soon as Everest was born, I was like, open the curtains, like what time is it? And I don't know, there was something really special about it being the start, like the morning, the start of a new day and it being the start of a new life at the same time. I I actually thought that was like super beautiful. So yeah, after about two hours, I was ready to do the cord ceremony just because it was a little cumbersome to have the baby and the bowl like 
attached since the cord again was really short. So we got out our cedar box I had ordered off of Etsy. There's actually not a lot of people on Etsy that make these cedar boxes, but I had ordered one and it has like little cutouts for the cord, like to hold the cord over the top. And then you take two candles. We use just natural beeswax unscented candlesticks to on either side. I would hold one. My husband held one to burn through the cord. And it definitely takes longer than you think it's going to, which I had heard people say before I did it that like be prepared. It takes longer than you think, even though his cord was actually very, very thin and it has a little bit of a smell to it. I don't think I remember the smell bothering me really other than it just smelled like candles, but uh, I did remember it took a little while and we were really tired and stuff. So my husband's like, oh, this is taking a long time. We burned it almost all the way through and then we ended up just like cutting the last bit. Um, but it was pretty much cauterized completely at that point anyways. And I don't know, that was just like a really, that was a really slow down moment. I liked that component where, I don't know, I could sit and kind of think about like, what does this mean? Like fire's really, fire's really representative of new births and beginnings. And I do think in a lot of ways, like a part of me, a part of me died in the birth experience and a part of me that um, had not existed before was being planted and being like parts of me were being cleared out to make room for new parts of me. Yeah. So then we settled in and I was very hungry. So my mom made me breakfast and brought it to me in bed and I did not leave the bedroom. I did not go downstairs. Um, I could not walk down the stairs. There is no way with the amount of pain I was in. Yeah, so I stayed in the bedroom the whole day. I took an, I tried to take a nap, but instead just stared at my beautiful sleeping baby. And yeah, that was the start. That was the start of his, his little life. And he was perfect and small. He weighed six pounds, six ounces. It was 19, maybe I think 19 and a half inches long, but... Yeah, it was absolutely miraculous. So that is the birth story. And obviously, we spend a lot of time in our culture, like sharing, I think, talking about the birth experience and preparing for birth and like focusing on pregnancy. And and then it's just as if everything goes back to normal. And we all know, those of us who have birthed babies, that that is so far from reality. Things do not. There is no going back to normal. There is no normal. You are now thrown into the trenches of newborn newborn raising and caring for and tending to, and it's a completely foreign planet. It's like you've been transported to a new planet and you don't know the language and you don't know anything really. And yes, it's instinctive to a degree, but it's also this dance of learning this new human's ways. Anyways, I don't think my little one has much longer of contentment here in this position. So I will leave the story at that. But do let me know if you have any questions about any part of the story that I shared. I, at this point, took me a while to get here, but at this point, I feel like an open book and am happy to share the nitty gritty details because I think the real parts of birth are not talked about enough 
and women deserve to know what it is to bring life into the world and and I think women's stories of of triumph and I mean just the miraculous work and strength and stamina and courage it takes for a woman to go through this process to surrender to this process is so worth sharing like to honor the feminine in this way is something I think our society would do much much good to to practice so and we'll be back later to chat more about the early days of postpartum and newbornhood and elimination communication and co-sleeping and nursing and all the things that come next so all right chat soon Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It has been a pleasure to share this time with you. If you loved what you heard, please do me a quick favor and rate and review the show. It helps us out tremendously as we continue to spread the word about what it looks like to heal your relationship with your body as the fire that lights transformation in every other area of your life. It's exciting stuff, so don't hold back in sharing the goods. Thank you again for being here. Until next time, I am cheering you on on your healing journey. Be well.